continuing to grow. And so it's a tremendous privilege to invite new people into membership. That's what we're doing this morning. We have 11 people who have been properly approved by the Deacon Board and who are now ready to receive the right hand of fellowship by this congregation. I would ask the deacons to please come and join me down front in the act of official welcome. If the deacons would come forward and just be seated in the front row, that would be great. Deacon spouses also, come and join us here in the front if you would, please. And then for the candidates, as your name is announced, each of you, please come forward, stand at the altar facing me. And uh, first I'd like to invite Michael and Christine Becker. Michael and Christine Becker, come forward, please. Ray and Kathy Docker are transferring in membership. They are ill this morning, so they called and I will be here. But Jacques and Allison Delan, please come. And Josh and Elizabeth Harp, you pastors. Laura Clark. And Mark and Kathy Tilton, please come and join us outside. I have to tell you all, it is a great privilege to have you joining this church. You're talented, you're sworn to follow the Lord, I know, in your personal lives. I see growth. It is tremendously exciting for me as pastor and see you join this grace. Does my heart good. Having been led by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and desiring fellowship with people of like precious faith, do you now, in the presence of God in this assembly, enter into covenant with one another as members of the body of Christ and Eden Prairie Assembly of God? Do you promise, by the aid of the Holy Spirit, to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this church? to strive for holiness and knowledge, to promote this church's prosperity and spirituality, to sustain its worship, its doctrines, its disciplines? Do you promise to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry and activities of this church? If so, please answer, I do. Do you promise also to strive to maintain family and personal devotions, to seek the salvation of the lost and to walk carefully in the world, avoiding the very appearance of evil and seeking to think no evil. Do you promise to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in distress and sickness, to be courteous and forgiving one to another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you? If so, say, I do. We therefore, as the Church of Jesus Christ and members of his body, now receive you into fellowship and communion of Eden Prairie Assembly of God, recognizing that God himself already has added you to his big church with the big seed. And we pray that the blessing of the Lord may be upon you always. Let's all stand. Like for deacons to uh, come and put your hands on them. Staff members, if you would uh, come and join, let's pray with you. Everybody else, extend your hands forward. 
Lord, we come before You in the name of Jesus. We recognize that You are moving in our midst. And we are amazed at the quality people You are bringing into Your church. We thank You, Lord, for their commitment. We thank You for their drive. We thank You for their desire to add to Your kingdom, to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we join hands with them here, we ask, O God, that You would knit us together in Christian love to be able to accomplish the mission of this church and Your big church in changing this world. Bless these folks, we pray. Help them as they find their ministries. For those that are still searching, I pray that You would shine Your beam of light upon precisely what You want them to do. Lord, for those that are already involved in ministry, I pray, dear God, that You would bless the work of their hands and let them know the joy of making disciples of Jesus Christ. Bless us, we pray now, as we, as we accept these folks into the fellowship that You have brought together here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to greet you. membership here is so exciting because it is the doorway into ministry. And that's actually what we're all about here. We are about helping people find their niche in the kingdom. You know, the kingdom is not just coming and sitting and filling a chair. In this case, a green chair. It's not about that. The kingdom is about finding your place and adding to it through your labors and through your work. And a church is a place where you can do that in a safe environment. A church is a place where you come and you go under the care or leadership of someone else and uh, they help you as you find your ministry. You say, well, Pastor, uh, I've got little kids and so I can't lead a ministry. Well, if you have little kids and you're here at this church, you're probably involved in the nursery or the preschool ministry. And that's a very important ministry. You're discipling and teaching little kids during the Sunday school hour. Everybody who is a member needs to be involved in ministry. And uh, so that's what membership is all about. We're tremendously excited about this. Well, 400 years is a long time. 400 years. Now, 400 years ago this year, Shakespeare was just finishing writing Macbeth. There was a czar ruling Russia. Francis Bacon, one of the most intelligent men to ever walk the planet was teaching at the University of Paris. And the Bibliotheque Anglica was the first public library in Rome, and it was opened 400 years ago this year. That's a long time ago. You read Shakespeare and you realize that the language has changed substantially. 400 years, but that's how long it had been from the time of Malachi when the prophetic voice of God was silent until the time it started up again through John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. 400 years. The children of Israel had been without that prophetic voice. And then John the Baptist came and he was a voice crying in the wilderness. He was prophesying. He ministered under the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was under that power that anticipation began to grow. People began to think, you know what? I heard heard about this voice through my ancestors. My relatives have told me about stories of long ago before they were even born when their ancestors heard about the power of God through the prophetic voice. And maybe, 
this is what it was about. And then Jesus came on the scene, and he was the answer to the prophetic dilemma. But then they crucified him, and he was gone. And there was this gap, and the disciples were scared and wondering what was going to happen. And so then our text comes about Acts chapter 2. While you're turning there, let me read to you something that our own Dr. Phil Mayo, who attends Second Service, he's a great theologian. I don't know if you know that, but uh, we have two really great theologians who attend here and are members here, and Dr. Phil Mayo is one of them. He wrote about Acts chapter 2. He said the Messiah was believed to be the one who would restore the spirit of prophecy to Israel. That's why they were so confused when they killed the Messiah. The disciples said, well, this is the guy that's supposed to bring this prophecy back. And indeed, they saw that he had done that. Now he was gone. But in Acts, the spirit is the spirit of prophecy and mission. Believers spoke the word of God boldly in the book of Acts. It is, in the church, it is for edification, exhortation, and comfort to build up the body of Christ into a unified whole. This is the purpose of all the gifts in the church, but it is ultimately so that the church might fulfill its mission. And so it was that in this time period that the events of Acts chapter 2 unfold. And it's a huge threshold. It's a huge change. It's a huge transition because they're moving away from a silent period into a period of signs and wonders, into a period where what is normal is redefined. And that's what I'm talking about today. What does it mean to be called Pentecostal? What does it mean? Now, I've got to tell you, this is a sermon that no Baptist would ever preach. This is a sermon that no Baptist would ever preach. And I've got to tell you, I've got a lot of Baptist friends. I was down at the coffee shop uh, just this morning, and uh, uh, Randy uh, O'Brien, one of the uh, pastors over at uh, Grace, is a good friend of mine, I see him down there. He's down there with his brother about every Sunday morning. And we'll talk, and sometimes I'll pray for them, and they'll pray for me. And uh, I'm standing there, and he says, Hey, let us pray for you today. I said, Hey, I'll take a prayer. And so he prays. He says, Lord, help Pastor Jack to preach boldly today and tell us the way it is. And then he prayed in Jesus' name, amen. Now, he didn't do what he usually does. He usually says, What are you preaching on this morning? And I was so glad he didn't ask me because I didn't want to say what it means to be Pentecostal. Because I love that guy. And he just, he just can't go there. He's gone so far, but he can't go all the way. And that's what it means to be Pentecostal. Pentecostal means somebody who is completely sold out to God to the extreme that they say, whatever you want to do, you do. Whatever you want to do, you do. This is a Pentecostal church. This is a Pentecostal service. We just had tongues and interpretation. We also had the prophetic voice. And I've got to tell you, if you are here and you are uncomfortable with that, you have one of two options. And I don't want to sound harsh, but I am absolutely sincere in telling you. Either you get used to it and accept it and study it, or you move on to another church. Because this is not open for negotiation at all. We value the move of the Holy Spirit. And we will not trade that for anything, anywhere, at any time. We have worked hard to get the Holy Spirit here. We have worked hard to help the Holy Spirit feel comfortable in our midst. And so we like it when He moves. And that is not open to negotiation. 
It is not. It is not the Holy Spirit. And God moving in our midst is more important to us than anything, anything at all. And so it simply is not open in negotiation. We are Pentecostal. You say, Pastor, what does it mean to be Pentecostal? Well, it has to do with what we consider normal. It has to do with what we consider normal. It means that when we read about the things that happen in Acts chapter 2, we look at those things and we expect those things to still be normative today. Now, see, this is where we differ from the Baptists. Baptists are saved. Baptists are going to heaven. Baptists have the gospel. But they look at these passages and they say, we believe that they happen, but we believe that they're not normal for today. And that's what we reject. We will go beyond that. We will say not only are they not only were they normal back then, but they should be happening today. And we have strong scriptural support on our side. In fact, many Baptists are becoming Pentecostal today. Well, what does it mean? Let's look at Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, the disciples were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, this speaking in tongues business is a sign that the Holy Spirit has baptized you. That the Holy Spirit has come in. You say, why speaking in tongues? It's because the Bible makes it clear that the tongue is the most unruly member of the body. It's the most unruly member, James says. It's the one that causes the most trouble. And so during that time of being filled with the Holy Spirit, being baptized with the Holy Spirit, God has a sign. He comes in and He takes control of that unruly member. Now, I shouldn't say He takes control. I should say you allow Him to have control. Because there's a big distinction there. We'll get to that in a little bit. Acts chapter 19 says that speaking in tongues like this was not a one-time deal. People will look at this and they'll say, oh, it's just a one-time deal. And then Acts chapter 19, verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior. He arrived at Ephesus. Now they're in a different town. There he found some disciples. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. There are people who are genuinely, sincerely following God. They're following Jesus. They're trying to do what God wants them to do. But they come up to a line and they can't cross that line. These folks couldn't cross the line because they didn't know where the line was. They had no clue that there was this second experience. And so then Paul shares it with them. Now, here's the other thing you need to keep in mind. Just because somebody carries the rubric baptism doesn't mean that they're not necessarily baptized in the Holy Spirit. There are many Baptists who pray in tongues. It's true. They don't do it in the service because they're not alive. They don't cry out in the service because Baptists are not like that. They're a little more structured. They just they go as far as they can. They can't go all the way. We have gotten to the point where we say, you know what? We think that God's Holy Spirit and His desire is more important than our liturgy. You know we have a liturgy, don't you? 
you know we have a liturgy. We have the same kind of liturgy that the Lutherans have, that the Catholics have. We, we, we have the same order of service. You come in, you uh, have some songs. The songs uh, uh, follow a certain pattern, and then we have the offering. Well, you think, you think the disturbing the liturgy in some of the bad church is a good thing? One time when I was a novice pastor, I forgot to take the offering. Oh, my goodness, the deacons were all over at the end of the service, they're back there going, Pastor, Pastor, Pastor. I go, what? You forgot to take the offering. Oh, great honk. How did I do that? I broke the liturgy. I broke the liturgy. I had to go back and take the offering and get it right. You know, when you break that liturgy, it's like killing a sacred cow. Well, what happens is sometimes the Holy Spirit comes in and He breaks the liturgy. And He has that right. It happened here this morning. It happened here this morning. Being Pentecostal means that we want the Holy Spirit to move. And so, if He comes in and He moves in a certain place, we roll with it. See, I, I see here that we have five songs. Come, now is the time to worship. Hallelujah, He is G. Blessed assurance, He is C. All in all, He is G. Holy is the Lord, G. Now, it doesn't say so-and-so will have prophetic utterance here. So-and-so will have a tongue here. But it comes with an understanding that any time the Lord wants, He can interrupt what we are doing. And we will roll with it. We will roll with it. We are comfortable with it. We are ready to follow the Lord no matter what. That's what being Pentecostal means. Pentecostal means that you laid aside your fears a long time ago. Pentecostal means that you're ready to be bold for God. Pentecostal means that you have an appetite that will not be satisfied by anything except the authentic power of the Holy Spirit moving in our midst, just like He did in the days of Acts. Just like He did in the days of Acts. We have redefined what it means to be normal. Baptists would say, yes, you have definitely redefined that. He says, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So then Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? They said, John's baptism. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And so on hearing this, they made the right decision. On hearing this, these people said, we are open. If there is more, we want it. You know, why go halfway? Why go halfway? Why would you get in the water and just get your toes wet? Why would you walk further into the river? Why don't you get out there where the water's flowing deep? Why don't you get out into the deeper things of God? And that's what these people decided to do. They said, hey, let's bring it on. Why not? On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. They spoke in tongues and they prophesied. See, the thing that happened in Acts chapter 2 is not just for Acts chapter 2. It's for the whole church. It edifies, it builds up, it strengthens the church. Now there's a speaking in tongues that you do in your prayer life that builds you up. But then there's a tongue that is used in the church. There's a different kind of gift that edifies and builds up the church. And that's what being Pentecostal means. It means that you say, you know what? We accept this as normal. 
We see this and we see a second experience after salvation that involves the Holy Spirit. The experience is called baptism. And you know it's happened to you when you speak in tongues or prophesy. We think this is normal. Being Pentecostal means being excited about our faith because it's an experience faith. It's not just an intellectual thing. It's an experience that has power. What is a Pentecostal service supposed to be like? Well, a Pentecostal service, like I said before, probably has a liturgy just like other churches, but it is going to be more dynamic because it carries within it the caveat of saying that the Holy Spirit can move whenever He wants. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit blows, the wind of the Spirit blows and lifts wherever He wants. And so there's that unpredictable element and I hope that you like that because it's exciting to me. You get up and you just never know. Bonnie says, well, do you know when a sermon's going to be this way or a sermon's going to be that way? By and large, no. By and large, no. I get up and I have my notes and, uh, written out and I have my research done and I've, I've been prayed up. And then I allow the Holy Spirit to move through me and He moves through in the way that He sees fit. And so there's a dynamic that comes together. Sometimes the worship will come together in a certain way. And then it dovetails with the preaching. And then there'll be a sign or a wonder, a tongue or interpretation. And God weaves together a beautiful tapestry that is unique. People say, why don't you, uh, if you have a prophecy in one service, why don't you read it for the second service? Because it's a different tapestry. If God wants that same message in the second service, He'll give it to a prophet and he weaves it together according to his command. And so we never quite know what the service is going to be like. It's much more dynamic. Much more dynamic. And so if you're going to be a Pentecostal, you've got to be flexible. You cannot be one of these cut and dried six minute people. You can't say, oh, pastor went 28 and a half minutes today. First of all, you're lucky as a Pentecostal pastor can get in. He can clear his throat in 28 minutes. If you're Pentecostal, you're just going to be in church longer. That's all there is to it. Because we allow God to have time. I, I have a friend who understands the difference. He talks about some of these other churches where things are cut and dry. Now, these are good churches. These are churches that I love. These are churches that I preach in. But you know what? He says, let me tell you something. They have figured out a formula, and they are working the formula. And that is true. They know that the lowest common denominator in most of the people in these western suburbs is that they'll stand for 28 minute sermon, they'll stand for about three songs, and then they'll stand for a dismissal, about one hour. You can draw a crowd that way. And I think that these people are saved, and I think that they're part of the kingdom. But you know what? I think that they are missing the point. When we come together, it's not about what we do. It's about what the Holy Spirit will do through us. And the Holy Spirit is not stuck on a one-hour-a-week timetable. The Holy Spirit will work through you at breakfast. The Holy Spirit will work through you at work. The Holy Spirit will work through you on Sunday morning. And He has got to have His time. The Holy Spirit requires time to move and change people's lives. And so I make no apologies. Sometimes I have to go longer, sometimes I go shorter. But it is not that cutting guide in a Pentecostal service. We allow the Holy Spirit to do what He wants to do. You heard it this morning.
you know, Pastor Brian was at the piano. And as he was ministering, there was uh, worship going on, and then a voice was raised. A voice was raised. Now, in a Pentecostal service, when a voice is raised, you need to have your antenna up. You need to be listening. And you need to say, is this just somebody getting happy? Which is okay in a Pentecostal service. Do you realize it's okay to get happy? I saw a documentary on Frontline. Uh, they were studying Walmart. And they had these Walmart associates filling the stadium. And man, they were happy. You know, if the world could get that excited about making money through Walmart, can't we get that excited about following the Holy Spirit, following Jesus Christ? I think so. You may be having a miserable week, but when you come to church, it needs to lift you up. When you walk outside of that door, I want you to be walking on cloud nine because you've been with the king. I want you to have that experience of, whoa, I learned something new today. I was entertained. I had a great experience in the house of God. All of this is acceptable because we are Pentecostal. We are Pentecostal. You may be burdened down. And you come in and the Lord lifts that burden. You're going to get happy. You're going to get happy. But there are other times when the voice can be raised because it's not just somebody getting happy. It's because the Holy Spirit is stirring them up. And it's a prophetic voice. That's what we had this morning. We had a prophetic voice. It was a voice of exhortation. The Holy Spirit was saying to our sister, Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! Get involved! Get invested! Open your mouth! He created your mouth. Of all the musical instruments that mankind has created, the human voice is unparalleled. It's unparalleled. It is the most exquisite sound to have the voice of the redeemed mingling with the voices of the angels on a Sunday morning, offering praise to God as it wefts up as mighty, powerful incense into the heavens. Don't you know God enjoys that? And he leaves down and he says, Tell those Pentecostals to keep it up. I like it. Praise some more. And we crank it up a little bit more. We crank it up a little bit more. You like it? Here's another load. We're sending it up there. We're sending it up to you. We hope you enjoy this as much as you enjoy the last. Because what happens is, she inhabits the praises of his people. We lift up that praise and he comes down and he fills the house. He fills the place. You say, oh, Pastor, I need goosebumps. That's not the goosebumps. That's the Holy Spirit working on the physics of your body. Certain things will happen when the Holy Spirit comes into the room where you are and inhabits the praises of his people. That's what it means to be Pentecostal. You usually don't have to worry about staying awake in a Pentecostal service. Sometimes, but generally not. We want the Holy Spirit to flow. And i got to tell you something. When the Holy Spirit flows, you're usually awake. You're usually perfect. You're usually on top of it. Because it's exciting. It's dynamic. And it's powerful. Now, having said that, I want to dispel a misunderstanding. The people who first experienced this move of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost had a misunderstanding. The only thing that they had in their frame of reference when there was something prophetic that happened was a pagan situation. There were pagan prophets. There were ungodly prophets. There were false prophets in the land, people who were channeling evil spirits. So when the Christians heard about this, they didn't know quite what to think because they said, here's the deal. When people channel evil spirits, they lose control. 
they lose control. Now, in the Greek, in the classical Greek, in the biblical Greek, there are a couple of different words that are used to describe this. But I was doing a little bit of research. I was reading Euripides. Euripides was a writer of plays. Interesting thing. In this uh, one play, you'll find this phrase. It says, Has some god possessed you, dear girl? Do your wits wander under the spell of Pan or Hecate, the august Corybantes or Cybele, the mountain mother? What he's talking about here is this girl that was being possessed by a spirit and she was a, a, an evil prophet. Her wits, she lost her wits. She became frenzy and out of control. And this was the context that the Spirit of God was moving in. This was what they considered to be possession by the Spirit. But it was a bad possession because it caused the person to lose control. Philo Judaeus describes secular prophets and prophetesses of this time as being possessed by a demon and manic. Possessed by a demon and manic. Now, let me tell you the difference between Holy Spirit control and false spirit control. The false spirit will take control of a person, resulting in frenzy or mania or being out of control, and it will draw attention to the person. But the spirit which is holy never takes control. Given control, and the person never loses control. What happens is they knit together and they bring attention to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the center of emphasis in a Holy Spirit environment. Anything that draws attention away from Jesus is of the flesh. It's not of the spirit. It's not of the spirit. See, Paul rejected this kind of losing of control in a spiritual exercise. In 1 Corinthians 14.32, he says, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. If you are going to allow the Holy Spirit to move through you, you do not go into a frenzied mania. You don't become maniacal. You don't become crazed. You don't lose consciousness. What happens is you say, Lord, move through me. And the Spirit of God is gentle. The Spirit of God is a good thing. He is gentle. He is not violent. People will say, well, Pastor, what happens when people go down sometimes? That was kind of out of control. It is not. It is not. If you talk to anybody who ever has gone down under the power of the Spirit, you'll find that they were still conscious. They still knew what was going on around them. What is happening there is, I think, that it is a surrendering of the will. It's a recognition of the power of Almighty God. Sometimes God will come on you so strong that you have got to stop everything else and focus on what He is doing at that moment. And so people will fall under the power. And they lay there and they're worshiping God while they're there. They're not unconscious. They don't stop breathing. They don't have a seizure. If you see somebody that goes down and having a seizure, there might be some demonic stuff going on there. But it's not of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, if somebody goes down, it's a matter of submission. The Lord wanted their attention. They have given Him their attention. And they are laying there in the express desire of worshiping Almighty God. That's what they're doing when they're down there. They're worshiping God. We should never be ashamed of what happens to you. 
there'll be a time. What will happen is somebody might come near you or lay their hand on you. I'm not talking about pushing somebody over. That's inauthentic. That's bogus. I am not interested in that kind of stuff. That's man. That's flesh. But the Holy Spirit sometimes will cause the power to come down on somebody. And they have a decision. Am I going to step back because it's freaking me out? If you do that, hey, you know what? The Holy Spirit's gentle. It short circuits what he wants to do, but you know if it's too much for you at once, he understands that. When I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, I was a new Christian. I got saved in uh, January, and then in March, had this experience where I was praying, and I knew the Lord wanted to give me this Holy Spirit, but I was absolutely freaked out about giving it to church. Because I just, I was, you wouldn't believe this, but I was really shy. It's true. I was shy back then. And I always sit in the back row because I didn't want people looking at me. I felt like I was so self-conscious I had to sit in the back row. And if I raised my hands, I'd go like this. And I'd make sure that the wall was behind me so nobody looked at the back of my hand. I don't know why. It was just one of those things. That's how it was. It wasn't that. It wasn't rejecting. If you're shy, the Lord doesn't reject you. But what happens is there's a time when He wants to draw you Lord, I want you to draw me closer, but I've got to make a deal. Let's make a deal, God. That's not very good, but you know what? The Lord is gentle and He's loving. He says, What's your deal? Why don't you baptize me someplace like at home in the front room in the dark at night? He says, Okay. And that's where He baptized me. It was so loving, but it was so strong and so powerful. But at one point I said, Lord, this is freaking me out. And I pulled back. And when I pulled back, I realized I had fear in my heart. And I said, Lord, I don't know what to do about this. I pulled back in the prayer time. And the Lord reminded me of the scripture, I have not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of peace, power, and sound mind. I said, Lord, if this is you, take away the fear. And he did. He took away the fear. He does not overwhelm your personality. What he does is he flows through you and uses your personality. But he draws attention to Jesus Christ. That's how you know that it's the Holy Spirit. That it's truly Pentecostal. Because it doesn't draw attention to the individual. It draws attention to Jesus Christ. That's how you know. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Now, there are times when somebody will get a prophetic message the day before. Or they'll get a prophetic message a few hours before a service. And they are not obliged at that time to give it right out in the foyer. Give it wherever they happen to be or give it at caribou. What they're obliged to do is hang on to that. Because then the Holy Spirit will give them an opening. Somebody says, oh, pastor, it just comes on me. I just have to give it. That's because you don't understand. You don't understand the Bible says the Holy Spirit does not take away your free will. He does not. Now, will we ever have a situation where something goes awry in a service? Probably. Probably, because when you're dealing with people that are using their gifts and learning to use their gifts, you have got to allow them a chance to make a mistake. That's how we learn. That's how we learn through our mistakes. You know, I, I learned that I'm not a brake mechanic. 
That's an important lesson to learn. Brakes are very important in your car. But I had a car one time. I had a 1988 Oldsmobile from hell. It was of the devil. And in one winter, I changed those brakes three times. Three times. I paid for it three times. Why? Because I was trying to save money. Instead of taking them to a professional, I decided it would be cheaper for me to do it myself three times. Oh, I learned my lesson. I don't mess with brakes anymore. Because it's cheaper to take it to a professional, and you know it's better when your brakes actually work. Sometimes you learn by making mistakes. And in a context like this, this is what it's all about. Somebody may be learning to prophesy, and so they may give a prophecy at a time that interrupts stuff. And you know what? Maybe it's not supposed to interrupt stuff. Don't worry about it. We, in love, will go to that person, or somebody will go to that person and talk to them and show them the way. But we are more concerned about pleasing God than about looking smooth. See, a Pentecostal service is not necessarily a smooth service. Why? Well, the Holy Spirit is smooth, but we are flesh, and we are blood. And any time the Holy Spirit works through an imperfect vessel, we might get imperfect results. But we can live with that. I'd rather have a little bit of fire, a little bit of wildfire ash, and then no fire at all. Some of these churches you walk into and they're cold and dead as a doornail. God will have to judge them. But that's not a Pentecostal church. A Pentecostal church is a live church. A Pentecostal church is a dynamic church. A Pentecostal church is a place where it's a safe environment where people are learning about their ministries and they have the right to succeed or fail in a context, context of love. You'll not be rejected. You say, Pastor, you know, here's something that happens. When there's a prophecy that happens, there are two or three other people who also have had that same posture but they didn't say anything at all. Why? Well, maybe they haven't used that gift yet. But they had the gift. They had those words. They had the first few words. You don't usually get the whole package. You get the first couple of phrases. It takes a lot of guts to give that first phrase. You say, well, it's just a little concept. I have to develop it into an idea. No, no. You give the Lord what he gives to you. You give it back to him and he'll give you the message. He'll give you step by step by step by step. Some people are bugged by that. Some people are goal-oriented people. When they come to the Lord, they say, okay, what's my plan for my life? you got to give me my last life plan. I want to know who I'm going to marry. I want to know when I'm going to marry him. I want to know how many kids I'm going to have. 2.4. I want to know I'm going to have one as a boy, one as a girl, then there's that halfway. And uh, we want to be able to figure all this out ahead of time. And that's what being a Christian means. No, no, that's not being a Christian. That's being controlled by the flesh. When you're controlled by the Spirit, He says, walk in a little bit deeper. What's the meaning, Lord? Walk in and find out. But I want to know more. No, no, you don't. You just walk in and you trust me. You trust me. You try it out and you see what it's like with me working through you. It's a walk of faith. That's what a Pentecostal service is. You know, it's wise to submit to this kind of power. It is. It's wise to submit to the power of God. The captain of a ship looked into a dark night. Way off in the distance, he saw faint lights. Immediately, he told the signalman to send the message. The signalman sent the message out over the radio. Alter your course 10 degrees south. 
promptly a return message was received. No. You alter your course 10 degrees north. The captain heard it and was angry. His command had been ignored, so he sent a second message. I said, alter your course 10 degrees to the south. I am the captain. Soon another message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees to the north. I am Stephen, third class Jones. Immediately the captain sent a third message, knowing the fear that it would evoke. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. The reply came back. Alter your course 10 degrees to the north. I am a lighthouse. Don't resist God. It makes no sense at all. Recognize that we are just flesh and blood. We are following Him. And if we will follow Him, He will do incredible things to us. Amazing things. You know, you can't plan your future because if you plan your own future, you will settle for so much less. You will settle for so much less. There are some things about the way that God has wired you that you don't know right up front. When I was uh, when I was a young minister, I, I, I got called by North Central to come back and head the youth department. And I thought, oh, this is going to be so exciting to head the youth department. The two guys I was replacing traveled all over, and they really had these big personalities and great huge ministries. They went all over the world, and I thought, oh, I love to travel. I'm going to still to sit in those little tiny airline seats. And uh, so I thought, yeah, this would be great. And, I love preaching and teaching and traveling like that because I thought this is the Lord opening up the door to a ministry that I would really like. And guess what? I got there and I hated traveling. I found out I hated traveling and I hated the evangelist type ministry. That is for a different type of gift. Now the two guys before me had that gift. I did not. I did not. I have a gift that is a pastoral gift. I love I love to see the same people week by week giving more and more of their lives over to God. That's what I love. And it's a totally different gift. But the Lord allowed me that experience so that I would learn that, you know what? That thing that I selected for myself was not at all gratifying. I guess He wired me a different way. And so then He gave me the joy of being a pastor. And I've got to tell you, I love being a pastor. I love being a pastor of this church, this place, and this age. I was thinking this week, I was thinking, you know, we've been here about six, six and a half years. It has gone by like a whisper. I love it. I love the people involved. I pray for you. I go through the director and pray for you while I work. I pray for you. God has called me to be your under-shepherd, to help you, to love you, and to care for you. And there's nothing more gratifying than following the Lord. Well, there was more to the sermon. The second thing is that God is a God of order. Do you realize that there's an order to his moving of the Spirit? 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Now, the Corinthians, their flesh was coming out, and they were being chaotic. And Paul says this isn't the way it should be. What shall we say then, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these things must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue or two, or one, one or two or three at the most, 
should speak at one time, and then someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Now, if you have this gift of tongues, you should also pray for the gift of interpretation. Because then you come here and you know that the gift is available. If you only have the gift of tongues and you don't have the gift of interpretation, then you have got to wonder, wonder whether or not you can use your gift that particular Sunday. You look around for people who may have been used with interpretation in the past. Now, if there is a tongue and for some reason there's not an interpretation, then you know there's been a mistake. Is it a catastrophe? No. It's probably somebody learning to use their gift. But it should happen if there's a tongue and interpretation, just like there was today. Isn't that cool the way that happened? There was a tongue and then there was an interpretation. You say, Pastor, it really bugs me. It's not an interpretation. Now, why don't you pray for the gift of interpretation? Maybe the Lord wants to use you in that area to help his word go forth. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. Do you realize that there is not a limit on the number of prophecies that are given? You say, Pastor, it says two or three. Two or three should prophesy, and then there should be the evaluation. That's what it's saying. There's not a limit on the number of prophecies. If two or three prophecies should come forth, and then there should be the evaluation. At that point, you say, why the evaluation then? Because after two or three prophecies, you tend to forget what the first guy said. And you've got to go through this evaluation process. For that reason, we try to do the evaluation right afterwards. Exhortation, edification, and comfort. I hope you memorize those. It's part of being Pentecostal. If a revelation comes to somebody who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn. That's how we know that it was unlimited. You can all prophesy in turn. And so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirit of the prophets, though, are subject to the control of prophets. Why? For God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. There could be a day when we would come together and there might not be a sermon. Because it's all prophetic. That could, be, that could happen. That could happen. It's that dynamic. It's that dynamic. It's just whatever God wants. It really is. It's whatever He wants. What are the rules of tongues? If anyone should speak in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church, keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Well, we don't have time to continue, but we wrap it up with this thought. Why bother with the gifts? See, some Christians would say, that just sounds so untidy. It sounds like there's some potential for uh, messiness. And I say, sure there is. Because any time you mix the divine and human, you have the potential for a little bit of humanity to flesh out. But you know what? That's what makes it so exciting. I look at my grandkids and I see them learning how to do things. I see them learning. It's not always tidy. It's not always defined. Sometimes they learn in, in kind of hard ways. You know, uh, Maddie is running through the house now. She's, she's about two and a half years old. And 
she showed up at our house and she had this bruise on her face. It was a line right down the side of her head. And I said to her, Dad, what are you doing to that child? What is the deal with that bruise? She said, oh, we feel so bad. She ran into a drawer. Oh, man. You know, it's amazing what kids can do and it doesn't kill them. If I ran into a drawer at full force like that, it wouldn't just be a bruise. It would be a seizure, you know? It would be a whole different experience. But these little kids, they can handle that. But, you know, that's the way it is. They're learning. They're learning about their bodies. They're learning about time and space. No two objects can occupy the same space. You know what I'm saying? Physics. They're learning about physics. And sometimes it's messy. But you know what? It is always exciting to see the Lord move in the midst of his people. I pray. Lord, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We say to you that we don't care about what the world thinks. We don't care about what other Christians think. We care about what your Holy Spirit thinks. Your Holy Spirit is always welcome here, O oh God. And that is not up for negotiation. We accept you at your word. We accept that you love it when your people open up. And we say to you that we are desperate people who will go 110% of the way. Whatever you want to do, as long as it lines up with your scripture, we are open to Father, take away our flesh. Take away our controlled mania. Take away our concern. And I pray, dear God, that you would move in a way that you see fit. I believe, Lord, that you want to move in new ways. I believe that you want to move in dynamic ways. And we say we are your people. We are open to whatever you want to do as long as it looks like Jesus. Nathan Lang and his wife are moving out of state. Isn't that a bummer? Why don't you guys come forward? Nathan and Rachel, the little babies. They've ministered here for quite some time. Notice that uh, Nathan started out on the piano and then he moved to guitar. He can just do all kinds of things. And for that reason, I'm trying to get him to stay. And he said, no. He said, where, where is it you're going? God forsaken place. Ohio. Ohio. Is it a good place? It is. See, people used to say that about Iowa all the time. Iowa is a great place. But they used to hammer me. So you have to take it We love you guys. And we are going to miss you. But we want to pray a prayer of blessing on you. Bonnie, come up and annoy him with oil. Let's pray a prayer of blessing on you too. We love you guys. And because you love Ohio, we love you. Okay. Lord, we come before you right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you have made us stewards of future leaders. Because of the fact that we're near North Central, we are stewards of future leaders. And now, Lord, we pray that you would bless the line. Lord, as they go into the future that you have designed for them, we pray that you would open doors that no man can shut. We pray that you crown with success whatever they set their hands to. We pray that you protect them. We pray that you'd watch over them. We pray, Lord, that you'd give them a great and powerful church where the Holy Spirit moves. May they never lose the joy of being in a Pentecostal church. And I pray, O oh God, that you'd give them powerful ministries in a powerful future. Lord, they have been so faithful here. Now be faithful back to them, we pray. Bless their rising up, their lying down, their coming in, and their going out. And Lord, knit us together. 
because we know we will serve you in eternity as one big family. Bless them, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.